せしました世界一かわいいのは伊藤ちゃんはい、みなさん、ご視聴ありがとうございました。今日のエピソードは、ハッドヒッツ・レスティング・ポッカス。A solo review of sorts,、um, and it's not because anything has happened to Hardy. You know, I've not kicked him off the podcast or anything.、Um, the truth of the matter is, we weren't planning to record this week. This is an impromptu session.、Um, we were going to be back in a couple of weeks to cover WWE Crown Jewel, the first season of Heels and Stars, the third season of Dark Side of the Ring on Vice TV,、um, and we are still going to get an episode in a couple of weeks. But I felt that I just had to jump on here because this past weekend of independent wrestling has just gotten me so excited that I, I just needed to get my thoughts out there.、Um, if you've been a long time listener of this podcast, you know that most of our episodes,、um, as sporadic as they are, we're sorry about that. You know,、um, Hardy in particular、uh, has a really busy schedule and, and, a, and a real job, and he recently got married and everything. Um, so, we kind of try to just record for the big shows, you know.、Um, we do a lot of WWE,、um, we obviously cover a lot of AEW,、um, and on the smaller side of things, we cover a lot of New Japan, we cover Triple A,、uh, we cover New Japan,、uh, and promotions like that. But、um, me being、uh, a more holistic pro wrestling fan and having a, a little more time on my hands being a freelancer, I tend to、uh, delve into Some of the smaller shows, which is what I wanted to talk about this week, because this past weekend of independent wrestling has been undoubtedly the most excited、uh, and the most vibrant I felt about independent wrestling for a long, long time. It hasn't been、uh, this exciting since perhaps in the early 2010s with ROH.、Uh, and we're here to jump into that right now. First and foremost, we are going to be talking about. Game Changer Wrestling Fight Club, which is, boy, I mean,、um, I've been a fan of GCW for, for a long time, for, for seven or eight years right now. And, you know, it, it's, it's so encouraging and it's so wonderful to see this little company grow into what it's become. And Fight Club is the culmination of what they've been building towards, you know, it, it's their biggest show to date. Uh, so far,、um, you know, they, they obviously、uh, announced the Hammerstein Ballroom next year, so they will go onwards and upwards from here. But I'm eager to talk about Fight Club, which is, is easily the best GCW show、um, in recent memory and probably the best show to introduce GCW to a newbie. You know, if, if, if you have a friend who doesn't know what GCW is,、uh, what they're all about,、uh, this is probably the time to jump in because the feuds they have are hot. The matches are varied. you know, It's, it's a real variety show with a, with a widespread buffet of different styles of pro wrestling.、Um, and, and that was very exciting to watch, you know, alongside a f- lot of major surprises and surprise appearances. So, I mean, GCW killed it this past weekend. But they weren't the only company to kill it.、Um, Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling over in Japan、um, put out probably you know, via version of WrestleMania, via biggest show of the year. Um, Wrestle Prince at Stu,、um, headlined by、uh, a match of the year contender, in my humble opinion,、uh, featuring you know, one of my favorite new stars, Maki Ito.、Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but Do- Tokyo Joshi Pro also had a big event yesterday.、Um, Stardom's 
10th anniversary grand final Osaka Dream Cinderella took place as well, you know. I'm competing Joshi promotions on the very same day, putting out huge shows, very exciting stuff. And, and both uh, the women in both uh, promotions uh, definitely delivered. Uh, and, and, you know, I had, I had a blast. I had a frill spending my Sunday watching them. And finally, I'm going to take a little bit of time to talk about Triple A's, Triple A, their latest pay-per-view, Heroes Immortalis, uh, which featured a hell of a tag team match featuring the Lucha Brothers. Uh, can't wait to get into that. But but let's start off with the big one first. Um, GCW Fight Club. My goodness, what an incredible pay-per-view this was. You know, and if you didn't catch it. You can still go buy the pay-per-view, catch it on replay on Fight TV. It's worth every cent because, in my opinion, no indie promotion at the moment can compete with GCW. They, they have the best storytelling. They have the best variety of matches. Uh, they have the best uh, roster of new young stars. In fact, a lot of teenage wrestlers are being molded in GCW today. You know, they are the natural evolution, the culmination of promotions like ECW, uh, CZW. Um, and a lot of other indies out there, and it's, it's just wonderful to watch. Of course, uh, GCW Fight Club was headlined by the long-awaited match between John Moxley uh, and Mr. MDK Murder Death Kill himself, Nick Gage, for the GCW Championship. Um, well, it's, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. That was the main event for a reason. Um, you know, uh, the, the card took place from a sold-out show in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Uh, it, and it was one of the hottest crowds you see all year, you know. Uh, they had an amazing event top to bottom, uh, kept off by probably what I feel is, is the hottest feud of 2021, you know. Uh, let, let, let's go from the top to the bottom, oh, on the opposite, let's go from the bottom to the top because there were a lot of surprises, a lot of great things that happened here and I don't want things to be overshadowed by Moxley and Gage, although, you know, that was the piece de resistance of GCW this weekend. I mean, first off, we kicked off with an electrifying opening match. Uh, it was supposed to be, initially, uh, a one-on-one -on -one match between Alex Zane and Ninja Mac. And if you're not familiar with who Ninja Mac is, he's a fairly new high flyer that kind of popped up on the indie scene a couple of years ago. Um, Ninja Mac does things that I literally have never seen before. Um, he has, I, you, you would think that the whole high-flying game um, couldn't be elevated, couldn't be one-dupped. Um, you've seen guys like Ray Phoenix and, and the Young Bucks uh, do some fucking insane shit. Uh, Ninja Mac has them all beat. Um, you know, you know, he's still young, he's still green, he's, he, he could stand to work on other things like his physique and psychology and things like that. But in terms of pure athleticism, I mean, there is no one on the Indies right now that, that can hold a candle to Ninja Mac. So, and, and, and Alex Zane, you know, former 205 lifestyle also. Um, I thought this was going to be a good match initially already, you know, I was hyped for it. But then, you got the surprise entrance of the man of the hour, Leo Rush. Uh, incredible, new AEW signing by the way, congrats to Leo Rush. So Leo Rush comes back to GCW, one of his former homes before he joined the WWE, and gets inserted into this opener in a triple threat. Um, and, and as you expected, this was an exciting, high-flying 
uh, opening chapter with with a sweet GCW surprise and homecoming for Leo Rush. You know, um, all three men delivered, uh, and Zayn uh, won this match. Yeah. It's it's a smart move as he looks to be you know the new top name to be reckoned with uh, in the, in GCW for the foreseeable future. Um, obviously, you know, with a lot of acrobatics and a lot of high spots, there were some hiccups and. I suppose some stuff is not for everyone, you know, like the the acrobatic fest between Rush and Mac. But in my in my personal opinion, I loved it. This this is just that genre, that style uh, of pro wrestling um, taken to the extreme, um, and it was a beauty to watch. You know, you know, um, frequently I, I was I was afraid that someone was going to get hurt, uh, but you know the moves were accomplished uh, crisply, safely. Um, yeah, I mean, it, this, there was no real selling or psychology in this match, but that kind of wasn't the point, and I hope they didn't do, do that, because, you know, you wanted a, a straight-up Spotfest banger to open a GCW event, and this delivered that, you know, and then you got um, Joey Janela and Marcus Stunt versus uh, Starboy Charlie and Chris Dickinson. Uh, this was a really good match, too. I mean, it was, it was real solid. Um, there, there, was, there was a spot here where, where I thought Marco Stunt uh, landed a drop kick and then you know, hit his head on, on the mat and boy, he looked hurt for a while. I mean, thank God, with, uh, I've learned later on by, uh, by social media and by bots and all that, Marco Stunt is fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, solid match. Um, I haven't seen too much of Starboy Charlie. I mean, uh, from what I've heard, he's 17, 18 years old um, and he's definitely GCW's um, latest homegrown prospect and you know he looks to be one of those guys that could be a star um, in the future in the vein of a Joey Janela or in the vein of a Marco Sanz you know um, that was pretty cool too uh, I mean so much stuff uh, happening here uh, a lot of stars from from other promotions uh, coming back to uh, GCW or stars from other promotions making surprise appearances in GCW what is not a surprise though is freaking Matt Cardona, man, the former Zack Ryder, who who defeats Effie, uh, who was uh, obviously accompanied by Ellie Catch, uh, for the internet championship. Um, boy, uh, who would have thought uh, twelve months ago? Uh, if if we go back twelve months ago, right, and and you told you have told me, you know, who is the guy in twenty twenty one that is gonna have the most heat in independent wrestling? You know, um, uh, you could have said Kenny Omega. You could have said uh, MGF. Uh, you could have said uh, Tetsuya Naito. Um, you, you could have said Will Ospreay. You, you kept giving me a, a, a large number of names, and I would have believed you. You know, um, who was gonna be the ultimate heel in a deathmatch promotion? Um, boy, the last name on that list would definitely have been Zack Ryder, but. My God, Mark, Matt Cardona has slowly revitalized his career with GCW as the anti-GCW guy, you know, this hardcore deathmatch, um, quote-unquote, Matt Wrestling kind of promotion, you know, and, and Matt Cardona is the exact opposite of that vibe. He is a polished, prim, kind of silly uh, WWE sports entertainment product, you know, and, and he comes in there uh, as the legitimate perfect heel for the promotion, you know, his, his mini-feud with Nick Gage was entertaining. Um, him defeating Effie here uh, was was um, wild to watch, you know, and, and it should be the case because Matt Cardona um, should continue succeeding in GCW because he gets so much heat. Um, and of course, the, the big surprise of the match was Chelsea Green uh, coming out, uh, joining Matt Cardona, interfering, delivering a low blow to, to give Matt Cardona the win. Chelsea Green is in uh, GCW, folks, so that was just... The, the first big surprise of the night, you know, the next big surprise happened 
after in after the intermission, we were supposed to have a scramble match between Jimmy Lloyd, Dante Leon, Gringo Loco, ASF, Braden Lee, and Kelvin Tankman. Um, what we didn't expect was a surprise, yet another surprise participant from the crowd. Thunder Rosa showed up uh, for her GCW debut. And goodness me, you know, um, there's something to be said about the Thunder Rosa pop. She is uh, the most beloved uh, female wrestler um, in the world right now. Um, and, and I 100% believe that. Um, Thunder Rosa deserves every accolade. You know, she can do every style of match. She can do a hard-hitting, um, strong style of match. She can do a technical match with Serena Deep. Uh, she can do uh, hardcore matches, as we saw with the Lights Out match with Britt Baker. She can do everything. Um, and she was inserted here into this clusterfuck of a scramble match. Uh, and good lord, she held her own. And in fact, you know, one could even say that Thunder Rosa was probably the most technically accomplished uh, participant here. Um, she killed it, the pop for her was huge. Um, I mean, you should just watch this just to see the reaction when Thunder Rosa comes out. Um, she, des she deserves every, every bit of love. That everyone shows at her, you know. Um, she's the the anti Chelsea Green in GCW or in the or in the wrestling circle, shall we say, you know, um, where, wherever Chelsea Green gets uh, nuclear heat for whatever she does, and she's good at getting heat. Thunder Rosa gets uh, gets effortless love from from the IWC, and it's it's beautiful. She deserves everything. Uh, th this was great. Uh, Thunder Rosa fit in like a glove in this match, man. Um, lots of other cool stuff happened too. You had um, a six-man tag between Akira, G-Raver, and Alex Cologne taking on the second gear crew, Mance Warner, Matthew Justice, and AJ Gray. Um, small side note, I, I really, really, really wish that AJ Gray had come out separately from his faction, the second gear crew, because, I mean, you know, um, big early trap fan here, you know, his, his Waka Flocka Flame theme song, is super hype, um, and I was sad I didn't get to see that, but never mind, never mind, that's beside the point. Uh, the big story here is, after Second Gear Crew won, they claimed, uh, they, they got on the mic, they cut, they cut the scathing promo talking about how they're the best tag team in the world, you know, there's no one in Vince McMahon's promotion, there's no one in AEW, there's no one in NJPW that can touch them, you know, uh, and, and they invite anyone, or everyone, to get in your face and try to prove them wrong. Um, I was expecting, you know, obviously I was expecting a surprise here. Yeah? Somebody was going to confront them. The last thing I expected, again, what a huge, massive, amazing surprise. The fucking Briscoes come out here uh, and, and, and get in Second Gear Crew's face and challenge them to an upcoming match, you know. Um, I think it would be wise if they hold off on this for a while to, to let it build and simmer because... Uh, it's rare, especially in the last two or three years, to find the Briscoes anywhere outside of, of ROH. I'm, I'm not quite sure why they haven't really been doing um, quote-unquote other indies besides Ring of Honor. Um, perhaps they're exclusive? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't think I've, I've seen them in an, on an indie since House of Hardcore in, in 2018, and, and that's, that's been a long while. So to see them in a different promotion uh, with, with, uh, with, with a crowd that was hyped to see them, you know... Um, with, 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 a, with a really like white hot crowd because I mean no offense to ROH but their crowds recently have just I mean it's not the kind of crowds that we used to see back you know during the Kevin Steen um, El Generico days or Brian Danielson days or CM Punk days even you know like it's 
totally different. It's it's a, it's a little watered down. Um, I don't know what's up with that, but uh, perhaps they've all migrated to AEW or GCW, you know. But here the crowd was white hot, and and this uh, amazing face to face between the Briscoes uh, and and Second Gear crew really really got me hyped. Um, who knows when their match would 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 take place, you know? But this is certainly uh, one match that I hope will be a no disqualification match. Um, there's probably going to be tables that is in chairs amongst other implements there. So. Uh, psyched for this one, happy to see uh, the Briscoes out and about beyond ROH. There's nothing wrong with ROH, mind you, it's just, you know, I want to see the Briscoes everywhere. They're, they're one of those tag teams that I thought um, would for sure have been snapped up by an AEW. Uh, perhaps not WWE, they're, they're perhaps a bit too rough around the edges for, for WWE. Uh, not technically, but I mean just in terms of their vibe and charisma, and they probably have to be diluted by, by the PC uh, for them to work in, in Vinnie Max promotion. Um, yeah, but I mean, the Briscoes are great. Uh, if you haven't seen the Briscoes, you know, uh, like I, I would suggest you go watch um, some of the earlier matches against uh, Steen Generico, against the Young Bucks. You know, they've had a, a couple of um, intense uh, spot fest ladder wars uh, back in the day, uh, and they're still going strong to this day. You know, they, they just have this um, shoe leather, tough, uh, redneck, uh, southern. A badass vibe that just feels absolutely legitimate in the way that Eddie Kingston totally comes across as legitimate and, and authentic in his, you know, kind of New York street brawler uh, vibe. Uh, totally love the Briscoes. Happy to see them in GCW. Excited to see this match coming forward. The main event of the evening was, of course, the death match that has been building for the last few months. Uh, death Rider himself, John Moxie, comes to the home of Nick Gage, GCW, to take him on in the main event for the GCW World Championship. Um, but before that happened, um, hardcore legend Nick Foley came out uh, to an audacious ovation, you know, um, and he received such a huge pop uh, that Foley was, you could see, this was absolutely genuine. He was taken aback by the reception he received. Um, he, he delivered a short little promo talking about uh, you know, the, the history and the art form of deathmatch and hardcore wrestling um, and about, you know, the, 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 the beauty of it, even through the violence. You know, a lot of people don't see that it's an art form and assume that it's garbage wrestling. Uh, Mick Foley would back to differ, of course, you know, you know the hardcore legend himself. Uh, you know, way back in to, to his legendary days with uh, exploding barbed wires and Terry Funk and his matches with Onita and stuff like that, you know. So he was kind of the perfect guy to come out and set the stage, and, and of course, you know, he, he couldn't resist getting that cheap pop by saying, uh, he didn't say, you know, uh, and I think City, he didn't say the hometown's name. The cheapest pop he can get in GCW was by saying, fuck Matt Cardona, and bang, bang, huge pop once again. He just couldn't resist. Uh, and then he joined uh, the commentary team, and I, I, I do have to say, Mick Foley surprised me here. I mean, he was excellent on, on commentary with his references and explaining the mindset uh, of Moxie and Gage, uh, which brings me to another point I wanted to make before I, I get into the main events. Um, from a production standpoint, uh, you know, this is probably easily the most competent uh, television or screen production uh, or streaming production that I've seen from Game Changer Wrestling. They've always you know, had good booking and good matches and good talents and good stories and all that. Uh, but sometimes watching the streams on Fight TV, it, it does uh, have a little, um, 
it does have an amateur vibe to it. It feels a little amateurish, you know, um, particularly with regards to their audio levels and audio mixing. Um, oftentimes, the commentary is too loud, or you can't hear the crowd, or you can't hear the ring announcers. Um, I mean, in terms of audio levels, perfectly balanced this time. I was very surprised. Good job, GCW. Um, the camera looked incredible. Uh, the video packages, the production value, um, the high def, uh, the, the replays, the camera angles. I think, you know, GCW has really stepped up their, their production game. And, and, and I think part of it is because they knew that this was going to be uh, the biggest show that they've ever put on. They, they have a lot of new eyeballs on their product and they wanted to put their best foot forward, so to speak. And they really, really delivered that. Now, getting into the main event uh, of the card, you know, the, the long-awaited match. Um, even before, um, even before the announcer managed to 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 give your to give the introductions, uh, Moxie already started bleeding because uh, Moxie was sliced open before the bell rang uh, by Nick Gage, uh, opened up by a bundle of light tubes during his uh, in-ring introduction. You know, and and the match was brutal and violent and hard-hitting, as you can probably imagine with these two modern deathmatch legends. Uh, the match saw, saw Moxie's back torn apart. Uh, and bloody while his face was co completely covered in blood, you know, a, a crimson mask, the, the likes of which I've, I haven't seen since probably, you know, Dustin Rhodes' match with Cody Rhodes. Um, back in All In or All Out, I, I kind of forgot, you know, but boy, uh, the match ended with, with a massive paradigm shift off the top turnbuckle uh, onto, uh, onto two chairs and, and a glass pane for the finish. Uh, boy, uh, incredible. If you've never seen GCW before and, and you kind of have mm, a small inkling as to who Nick Gage is, uh, either because of his cameo on, on AEW Dynamite or, or because you saw Dark Side of the Ring and the episode about him, um, this is Nick Gage's element. The, the deathmatch scenario, the GCW crowd, the murder death kill gang, you know, representing the boys up in Eastern Block. Um, you know, uh, it, it's a little bit of a surprise to see John Moxie win here, although you shouldn't be surprised. I mean, Moxie himself is not unfamiliar with death matches, obviously, you know, coming out from CZW and all that. But you would have thought that they would have used the excuse to put the belt back on Nick Gage. But I don't know, perhaps this is, this is, uh, this is, this, I, I suppose now that I think about it, this is a good ploy to, to get, you know, a big AEW star, a former WWE star, to keep coming back to GCW, to keep headlining, you know, and, and this feud is clearly not over. They, they can clearly do a trilogy, they can do a chronology or whatever, this, this can last for a year, uh, if, if they play the cards right, if they pace it right, and, and I'm honestly here for it. This is the hardest feud going on in pro wrestling right now, especially if you've been following, you know, the social media stuff, um, the, the little hiccup with, with Matt Cardona winning the GCW belt, which in, in itself was hilariously entertaining uh, in terms of the heat that it generated. So yeah, GCW doing incredible work here. And they will continue delivering incredible work in even bigger settings and even bigger venues because during GCW Fight Club, the company's founder and promoter, Brad Lauderdale, stood in the ring to make a very special announcement. Um, he tried to make the announcement earlier in the night only to be interrupted by Matt Cardona and Lauderdale uh, reappeared later in the show to finally make the announcement, uh, directing everyone to a video package that was just immaculately produced and... Uh, I'm going to sound a little corny here, but it made me cry. 
Um, it was it was emotional. It brought a tear to my eye. Uh, the the video in question showed a collective of GCW wrestlers, um, Effie, uh, AJ Gray, uh, and Nick Gage, among others, uh, standing in the middle of the legendary Hammerstein Ballroom. Um, it's official. GCW will run your biggest venue ever on January twenty third, uh, two thousand and twenty two. They will run the Hammerstein Ballroom. Um, this will mark Game Changer Wrestling's uh, first ever appearance in Hammerstein, and and you know it's located in in Manhattan Center in Manhattan, New York. And to say that this is a historic venue would be an understatement, especially in professional wrestling. You know, uh, previously known as the Manhattan Center, this is an elegant-looking venue that has been home to many. Um, amazing independent wrestling events, you know. Um, uh, following the name change, it housed uh, several shows for ECW and ROH. You know, in 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 2010, uh, TNA held their first ever event in the ballroom. You know, though it's often you know most associated with uh, ECW and ROH. You know, um, good for them. You know, I'm I'm happy to see them. Uh, kind of making it into the big leagues of the indie, so to speak. And and the best way to announce that. It's a show at the Hammerstein. Uh, that was great. Uh, now back to the video package. Why did I cry? Oof, boy. I mean, that's partly because I, I have an emotional connection to this GCW and after watching it for, for many years now, you know, it feels like my secret. Like, you know, like, like uh, it's not like AEW or ROH, something where a large portion of fan base knows, you know, especially the mainstream fan base. GCW feels like my little secret that I enjoy in private. Um, and I, I, I guess that's why, you know, you fans kind of feel an ownership to any promotions like this. You know, this video was uh, produced by Giancarlo Di Tarmo, uh, and, and it featured members of the GCW roster, each listing and reacting to the negative things that they've been told by naysayers, either in person or in social media, you know. Uh, Matt Cardona reacting to um, the lines that, you know, he's a 5-2 player, he has, he has everything it takes, except he's never going to be a top guy, so... Good luck on your future endeavors, you know. Vet cut deep. You have you have people like Effie uh, reacting to things like, could you tone it down a bit? You know, your act is a little too... I mean, we're okay with gay people, but your act is a little too gay. You know, um, the, these, these are wrestlers and these are people in the medium and in the industry that have fought outside the box and gone against the grain um, to carve out spaces for themselves that didn't exist before. You know, and they are thriving in their spaces, uh, and and it's it's wonderful to see that they've done it their way. You know, to quote Frank Sinatra, and you know, it's it's heartwarming just to see. It's heartwarming, you know. Uh, GCW at Hammerstein Ballroom. This is where they should do the Moxie Gate rematch. This is where they should do the Briscoes versus Second Gear Crew. I'm sure they're gonna have a packed show lined up for us, and I can't wait for that. Next up, let's move on to uh, my personal favorite show from the weekend, Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Princess 2. Um, you know, um, ever since that, uh, ever since TJPW and fellow promotions like DDT and, and Pro Wrestling Noah were acquired by the Japanese company Cyber Agent, um, it's been clear that the new owners of the women's promotion had sights set on expansion and growth. Uh, and increased focus on overseas markets, 
um, new trainees being brought in, a completely revamped online streaming service, and you know, perhaps most telling of all, um, a new big WrestleMania-type annual show uh, called WrestlePrintas, you know, whose second iteration uh, took place in Japan uh, a couple of days ago. Um, uh, so solid uh, uh, TD, TJPW's plans to make this a regular show that, that during last night's event, uh, TJPW already announced Wrestle Princess 3 uh, to take place uh, on the same date next year in the Tokyo Dome City Hall. Um, not to mention they announced Grand Princess 2022, a show for next March to take place in the famous uh, Ryogoku Sumo Hall sports venue. But that's next year. How was this year's show? Uh, well, Expectations were very high, and, and in my opinion, they were handily met. You know, in fact, before I go any further, I would encourage you to go ahead and watch the show yourself if you are at all interested. Um, not only was this a fantastic three hours of professional wrestling, uh, the Wrestle Universe streaming service um, it's currently on uh, is doing a promotion where if you sign up now. You pay absolutely nothing for the rest of the year. What a deal, you know. Um, you, of course, you have to pay for January once January rolls around, but that's just but that's four months uh, of not just TJPW, but DDT, Noah, uh, Ganbare Pro Wrestling uh, for only nine hundred yen. That's that's about you know eight USD if you live in the US, and you don't even have to pay for three months, the first three months, you know. Um, I mean, if it sounds like I'm sponsored, you know, uh, I, I'm not. Uh, TJPW and 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 Cyber Agent does not sponsor me, but. I really just do think it's, it's a great deal and a, and a good hopping on point if you want to check out some very good Japanese pro wrestling, you know. And, and there was a lot of good Joshi wrestling on TJPW Rosa Princess 2, let me tell you. Uh, of course, the, I mean, top to bottom, you should watch the card. But the big one, the main event, was the culmination of a very, very, very well told and well built, well built feud between Miyu Yamashita and Maki Ito, uh, the cutest of them all. Um, this was probably the one match of the night where I didn't successfully guess the winner off. And, and to be fair, I've, th because all signs pointed to Maki Ito finally winning a big match, you know. Um, Ito spent a lot of time uh, as a character, you know, as a person, uh, as someone who falls short in big matches. But after nine months, after a, a nine-month-long storyline of facing Yamashita in January, uh, teaming with her in a tag team in subsequent months, uh, a depression fueled excursion to AEW, uh, winning the Tokyo Princess Cup tournament, uh, and not only challenging for the belt herself, but being challenged by her tag partner and current champion Miyu Yamashita, um, it really felt that this was finally, finally going to be Ito's time on top. Doubly so when you consider the focus in the build on this being a, a quote-unquote happy ending for Ito, you know, finally reaching the heights of wrestling that she once thought impossible. That was apparently not the plan, and honestly, you know, like, much like the Hangman Page build, I'm okay with the slow build, you know. Um, I don't think they've, they've jumped the shark quite yet. The moment, you know, perhaps it can be seasoned a little more, it can be marinated a little, a little bit longer, but... Overall, you know, I, I don't mind the finish because the match itself was excellent. If you want hard-hitting action from the best striker in TJPW, you've got it in Yamashita. If you want emotional moments from the best storyteller in TJPW, you've got it in Maki Ito. If you want callbacks to their history uh, that made, you know, uh, at least me uh, kind of tear up a little bit, you've got it. This match was everything 
uh, I hope they would be, and more. Uh, also an improvement on your match from January. Uh, that feels uh, so much better than a 9-month gap should allow. This feels like they're resting you know, 9 years from January. Uh, not to say 9 months, they've improved so much. Um, and while Ito may not have won the match, she hardly looked bad in defeat. Um, she showed great tenacity throughout the match and was on only taken out in the end by an amazing skull kick followed by a huge uh, crash rabbit heat from the champion. Um, I, I suppose my only issue with the match is that the story was leading too perfectly to an Ito win for, you know, to, to kind of um, accept the conclusion to be Yamashita retaining. By which I mean it would have been the perfect emotionally satisfying conclusion for this arc, uh, Ito finally reaching the top against not just a long-time rival, but someone uh, she had become close friends with over the last couple of years, especially the last couple of months. Uh, combine that with Ito's popularity, not just in Japan, but overseas as well, it felt like the perfect time to do a title change, you know. While Ito will almost certainly be able to come back from this, I have no doubt that she'll obviously be a princess or princess champion. I'm, I'm very curious where Yamashita goes from here. Who takes the belt off her? Um, if there is a long story, or is it just going to be another, uh, hey, I've been winning a lot, give me a title shot moment? I, I don't know. Um, Will someone besides Ito be the first person to take? Uh, uh, or will someone be, uh, you know, the first person outside the four pillars of TJPW to hold the belt for a very long time? You know, will one of the other pillars get a run with the belt first? Uh, my hope is that Maki Ito actually eventually gets another, an, an, gets another rematch to to run this back. There are a lot of questions as to, as now as to how TJPW goes into the future, and and with a couple of huge shows on the horizon, I can't wait to see the path they take because, you know, um, although, yeah, uh, as a fan in kayfabe, I was disappointed because I was rooting for Maki Ito, uh, but overall, like, I, it got me intrigued to see where this goes in the future because there's so many different options that they can do with Yamashita and, and with Maki Ito's uh, new uh, redemption arc to rise to the top once again, like a phoenix, you know, so... A stellar finish to an overall fantastic show, well worth the amount of hype afforded to it. I urge for you to check out the pay-per-view, and if you don't have time, if you don't have 3 hours or 4 hours, I urge you to just carve out 20 minutes out of your day and watch this match for yourself. That being said, TGPW wasn't the only Joshi promotion killing it last Sunday. You had a great Stardom event, uh, the Stardom 10th Anniversary Grand Final, Osaka Dream Cinderella. Uh, and I'm here to, to, to talk about it. Um, I thought it was an entertaining wave of view overall, top to bottom. Probably not as strong as GCW Fight Club or uh, Wrestle Princess 2. Uh, but Stardom's top two matches were excellent. The co-main events and the main events, uh, I enjoyed it very much you know I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna delve into a little nitpicks here but i first i want to say the the wonder of stardom match uh the wonder of stardom championship match uh between tam nakano versus mayu iwatani was very good the main event match between uh utami haya shishita uh versus uh takumi iroha was also very good uh don't get me wrong i thought these girls delivered top tier four maybe 4.5 star matches I just have like a couple little nitpicks, you know, like let, let, let's go back to the co main event, the Wonder of Stardom championship match between uh, Tam Nakano and Mayu Iwatami. Um, it ended in a 30 minute time limit draw. Uh, a bit uh, a bit Brian Danielson, uh, Kenny Omega esque, you know, and, and 
the thing is, I <clears throat> I know there's a deep story being told, especially going all the way back to when Tam was abandoned by um, Oedo Tai uh, and taken in by Mayu. The, the video package prior to their match showcased the depth of their history and the complicated feelings they have going into this match, especially with Mayu thinking Tam betrayed her by, by, by setting up Cosmic Angels right under her nose and, and Tam believing that she isn't going to grow so long as she stands in the shadow of, of Stardom's uh, undisputed icon. Uh, you know... Um, the the thing is, like I, I, I know that Tam's ultimate goal is to surpass Iwatani so as to cement herself as the ace of stardom and, and, and the ace of the women's wrestling world. But uh and as good as this match was, as really good as this match was, it lives in the shadow of Tam's matches with Julia, uh leading up to their hair versus hair, a uh, barn burner at All Star Dream Cinderella, um, which was infinitely more compelling, you know. Um this was a good match that lives in the shadow of Probably the match of the year, uh, which is why you know it's it's just harder. Like when when you compare that hair versus hair match to this one, you know, you kind of just expect the world, and probably that's my fault. That's the audience's fault for having unfair expectation. You know, um, it it isn't that Mayu versus Tum wasn't good. It was outstanding, hard hitting, and dramatic. But but even with the wonder of Stardom Championship on the line, I I know that both have had better non-title matches and story arcs with others in the past. There is just something kind of missing from the story, and I think after the grid each displayed during the 5-star Grand Prix, and in Tom's match with Julia, and, and Mayu's uphill battle against Natsuko, uh, they could have just dug a little deeper story-wise and psychology-wise. Um, Mayu doing everything to avoid Tom's Twilight Dream was great. Uh, but part of me feels I think Iwatani held back too much. The, the, the match was certainly hard-hitting. The story is definitely there. I think if Mayu hadn't lost so many of her star's teammates in the last year, including uh, having Tam set up Cosmic Angels right under her nose, it, I would have been a little more invested. Um, I can't tell if they're intentionally breaking Mayu down in order to build Tam up. You know, plus seeing all the members of Cosmic Angels at ringside, uh, but only Koguma and Lady C for Mayu made me feel like the icon couldn't even keep her own team with her. Uh, with with Jungle Kiona leaving the company at the end of September, and and Sayadida uh, still out from her injury, the numbers of stars have dwindled. Um, you know, even Hanan was absent, and Hazuki was nowhere to be found. It just leaves me wondering if the icon is going to be eventually alone before she can rebuild. Um, I did find the referee pushing Iwatani and Nakano back into the ring instead of starting to count them out a unique a unique choice in a match, especially after they pushed him to the ground uh, as they brought outside the ring. Um, I, I know the time limit draw happened to keep them both looking strong and to keep their competitive story going. I, gen I just genuinely wish it hadn't been a 30-minute match prior to the main event, which had no time limit. Uh, because, you know, you, audiences and viewers can run out of steam. It happens. Uh, Tam retains and, and, and Mayu tells her to keep hanging on and protecting that belt until they can have a rematch. So, okay, they're clearly going to do this again. A very good 30 minute, 30 minute time limit draw that perhaps could have been better placed earlier on in the card where, where you could have you know, spaced out and paced the show a little better. You know, there's a reason why, why Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega was the first match uh, on Grand Slam. There's a reason for that. There's a real good pacing reason for that because to have that go on last or go on before last would have totally exhausted the crowd. And that's how I kind of felt here, you know. Um, 
then you had the, the World of Stardom Championship match between Utami ha- Hayashishita uh, against uh, Takumi Iroha. You know, um, during the press conference, Utami proposed removing the time limit of the match so as to ensure um, a definitive winner by the end, uh, unlike the five-star Grand Prix League match that went to a time limit draw. Um, first things first, the pageantry of their entrances alone felt absolutely epic. Absolutely epic. Just the pageantry of it, you know, the, the pageantry of the entrances. For those unfamiliar with the all-female drama troops in Japan called the Takarakuza, uh, both Iroha and Hayashishita's uh, entrances had the same gravity. You know, in their world, women are the protagonists, the heroes, the heroines, the antagonists, the villains. You know, there is equality, gravity, levity, um, honor. You know, uh, in a battle of 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 aces clad in in red stardoms, Utami and Marvelous's uh, Takumi Iroha uh, both sought to bring a conclusion to their five-star GP draw. You know, there was no better showcase for the top tier of Japanese women's wrestling, um, as both not only had outstanding matches with one another, but with a third rising ace, uh, the woman unlike anyone else, Shuri, uh, who actually joined on commentary for the main event. Uh, one of the things that I love seeing about Iroha in the stardom ring is, is that while she now calls Marvelous home, she still respects and honors her start in stardom. One of the biggest takeaways about having a seasoned veteran on, on commentary like Shuri is that although she is focused on both competitors as by the match and, and either one could be the person that she faces at, at Ryogoku Dream Queendom, she also gets lost in the spectacle herself in the intensity of the match, falling silent in appreciation like many of the fans, you know, and unlike the semi-mean, uh, this gave me 30 minutes of more uh, of, of excitement and drama that, that I felt lived up to the anticipation, that I felt lived up to the hype, you know. Um, any combination of Iroha, Hayashishita, and Shuri uh, is bound to give you a 5-star match. Um, you know, e- e- even though the main event went just a tad longer than, than Nakano and, and Iwatani, I feel like Hayashishita and Irohi, Iroha had more intensity, despite this being a friendly face-versus-face matchup. Um, this makes Hayashishita's seventh successful title defense. Um, after Utami wins, uh, she thanks Iroha for the outstanding match and looks forward to the time when they can do it again soon, and, and so do I. Hayashishita indicates that the next big show is the Kawasaki Super Wars on November 3rd and opens the, the pool for opponents. Um, Hazuki walks out first, uh, congratulates Utami on her win and asks to be her next opponent. Uh, however, Micah runs to the ring, yanks the microphone away uh, from her before Utami can answer. Uh, Maika informs Hazuki that she is owed a title challenge due to a win in a 5-star GP. Um, Hazuki gra- graciously tells uh, Maika that she'll gladly allow Maika to be the first challenger once she beats Utami for the World of Stardom Championship. Uh, man, that, this, this was a great uh, closing angle. You know, Maika concedes to Hazuki, stating that out of kindness, she will, she will take the winner of Hazuki Utami on November 27th, November 27th at uh, Yoyogi National Gymnasium instead. Uh, Hazuki and Utami agree to those terms. 
and uh, Uzami welcomes Hazuki back, but also reminds her that a lot has changed since, since she's been away. Uh, Utami closes the show, uh, thanks everyone for celebrating in Osaka with them. The te big 10th anniversary uh, celebration is you know, um, at its climax, and, and as the show closes, um, Utami calls out Shuri on commentary, reminding her that she'll do everything to ensure that she's the one that Shuri faces on December 29th in Ryogoku Dream Quindom. Uh, Boy, uh, great pair of Joshi pay-per-views here. Wrestle Princess 2 a little stronger overall, uh, but Stardom always nails it with every event, especially this year. Um, I think if I were to make a list of the top five matches of the year, uh, I could make a decent argument for all five matches to be in, in Stardom. I'm not kidding you. They, they've just been on, on a roll this year. You know, I'm very excited to see more from them. And I urge you to check out this pay-per-view as well. Finally, I want to talk about Triple A's Hero Immortalis 14. Um, Heroes Immortalis is one of Triple uh, A's, you know, besides Triple Mania, obviously, one of the biggest pay per views of the year, and I was excited to watch it. Um, I'm not going to run through the whole card, but I did have to, like, take five minutes to mention uh, the Lucha Bros having an incredible, mind fucking blowing Triple uh, A tech title defense, uh, and then. A shocking surprise challenges uh, emerge. Um, this this is incredible. The Lucha Bros continue to wow with their Lucha Libra skills. You know, um, this time they had uh, evenly matched opponents in the wow factor. You know, Phoenix and Pentagon uh, put on a barn burner, defending the Triple A Tag Titles against Laredo Kid and Hio Del, Del Vikingo uh, at, at Heroes Immortalis. Uh, just when fans thought the excitement couldn't get any higher, the Lucha Bros, at the end of the match, you know, a match that was insane and spectacular, uh, you had four Luchas at the top of their games, uh, especially Laredo Kid and Hio Del Vikingo, if you've never seen them before, uh, you know, go check them out in this match. Uh, I mean, Laredo Kid and Hio Del Vikingo are, I mean, they're more acrobatic and more athletic than Rick Phoenix, if you can believe that. Uh, there are levels to this shit, you know, and there are luchas more acrobatic and more athletic than, than Ray Phoenix, and you can find them in Mexico. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. I know it's hard to think about because Ray Phoenix, you know, it's, it's, it's one, of the, uh, one of the top guys in Lucha Libre at the moment, but yeah, there, there, there are levels to this, you know, and uh, it, it was just an incredible match. And, and, and just when the fans and myself thought the excitement couldn't get any higher, the Lucha Bros were confronted by another pair of Luchador brothers, uh, that want to challenge for the belts in the near future. Uh, the surprise blew the roof of the building. I mean, you know, uh, first things first though, let me set it up for you. The, the Lucha Bros were given all they could handle by Rising Stars, Laredo Kid, and Hiodo Vakingo, you know. Both teams tried to finish with early finishes, but, you know, escapes occurred before the execution. Uh, the, the challenges erupted with a flurry of offense, uh, and it was just this insane, back and forth like 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 you won't believe you know lucha bros and el hio the vikingo and laredo kid pulled out all the stops for this you know if you are a fan of this style of athleticism then this is the match you want to seek out i realize it's not for everyone but there are but there's a lot of people who enjoy this and if you're into the lucha libre style uh this is pro there's no better showcase there's no better spotlight this are these are four guys at the top of their game in 2021 you won't find four better luchas anywhere I mean, no offense to Rey Mysterio or Dominic Mysterio, whatever, you know, they're, one is too young, one is too old, uh, and, and they're probably not at the top of the games anymore. Even, e even they would admit that, you know, they aren't at the peaks. Uh, the Lucha Bros and El Hugh Vikingo and Laredo Kid are at the peaks. You know. 
And then they were confronted by two more luchas who were also at their peaks. Dragon Lee and Dralistico came down to the ring. Uh, Los Hermanos Lee are brothers of Rouge. Uh, Dragon Lee once competed, uh, actually has competed once for Triple A, I think, uh, and it was in a losing effort to Kenny Omega for the Mega uh, Championship. Um, he built his career mostly through CMLL and NJPW. Uh, Dragon Lee is, uh, is the current tag champ with Kenny King and, and the TV champ in ROH. Dralistico uh, actually earned his fame as the second man under the mystical mask before declaring free agency from CMLL. Um, uh, last year or a few months ago uh, and, and this was his first major appearance under the Drillistico name. Los Hermanos Lee uh, promptly challenged the Lucha Brothers to a future title contest. Uh, Phoenix and Pentagon claim to be the best tag team in the universe, uh, but Dragon Lee and Drillistico demand to test that notion. Uh, Los Hermanos uh, Lee don't care if they have to go through Laredo and Vikingo to get the shot. Uh, the Lucha Brothers talk trash, with the message being to fight whenever, wherever. Uh, whoa, uh, this was a stupendous surprise from Los Hermanos Lee. Uh, Dragon Lee and Realistico can move in the ring, and in my opinion, uh, Dragon Lee is legitimately in the conversation. Perhaps it's not the top, but he's in the conversation for one of the best wrestlers on the planet at the moment. The prospect of them challenging the Lucha Brothers makes my mouth salivate. That is one of the dream matches that I didn't think about until it was presented on a platter, and for that, I salute Triple A, and I salute uh, the independent wrestling promotions that gave me hours upon hours of joy uh, on Sunday. Uh, this, was, this was fantastic. I'm glad to have you know, um, a few minutes here, well, almost an hour, to, to discuss or, or to monologue with you about just my pure fanboy gushing uh, about, about how exciting independent wrestling is. Um, to the next time, uh, when we'll talk about WWE Crown Jewel, ugh, you know, uh, this has been Hit Zero. And this has been a Hard Hits Wrestling Podcast. Like, share, and subscribe. Goodbye, guys.